0: Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Good to be with you again. I'm Chuck Legvold, in case you're a guest with us today, either present or online. And uh, I'm uh, glad to be uh, here filling the pulpit again and sharing God's Word with you again. Had a lot better drive down this week than we had last week. We got 15 more minutes of sleep. Uh, No rain, no fog, and only three deer. Uh, so, that's that's how well it is with us. Everything went just great uh, coming down. I hope your soul is well. Um, movies. You're supposed to talk about the last movie you went to see? What were they? Everybody say them at once. That was clear. Uh, <laughs> Bonnie and I don't go often to the theater. The last one we saw was back in February in the theater which was the Jesus Revolution. And I came out of the Jesus Revolution. That's my era. I know it makes me look and sound old, and I am. And that's, that's okay with me. And I wept through the whole thing. But I got to tell you, the last movie we actually watched on pay-per-view, and we do a lot more of that at home, it's easier to to, uh, like, go to bathroom breaks and stuff when you're at home. We can stop the movie. Uh, this will tell you about the divergence of the kind of things that we that we enjoy watching. We saw The Jesus Revolution. Uh, this time we watched John Wick 4. <laughs> I love John Wick movies. I just, I'm sorry, I just love John Wick movies. So, so that's what we did. But we are here in God's presence today, and in a moment I'm going to Uh, share God's Word with you, and I'm going to ask you at this particular time to join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts, particularly for uh, God to speak to us through His Spirit. Heavenly Father, our uh, our hearts are bowed before You. We are in our souls knelt before You, ready to hear. If our minds are somewhere else, we pray, O Lord, that You will cause them to come back to this place this time for this reason you wish to speak to us and there is nothing more glorious to know that our creator and our redeemer and our sustainer wants to speak to us and with us for our benefit so O lord do so and we pray that even as we begin to formulate responses actions of praise and service and evangelism and witness in response to it that you will be glorified and you will be at the center of all that we do we ask this in jesus name amen last week uh we uh spent some time in joshua joshua chapter one and we talked about what it meant to be strong and courageous that that God is involved, God is active, even when it seems like leadership that we've had and the familiar things that we've enjoyed uh, are gone. We looked at what happened in the transition between uh, uh, Moses and then Joshua, and they were two significantly different people, and yet God treated them the same. God spoke to both. God, maintained his relationship with both to both god kept his promises to both and also to the people of israel and we learned what it meant to to stand in the midst of those promises in turbulent difficulty difficult uh hurtful painful grieving tough times and we discovered that god's promise will carry us through today we're going to go to the other, toward the other end of your Bibles, toward the end of the New Testament, to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want you to just take a, a little bit of a mental exercise. This is always good to do, whether you're instructed to do so or asked to do so by the preacher or not. And in this particular case, I always like to do this with the epistles when Paul is writing. Uh, or or Peter, or John, or Jude, or whoever it happens to be, and I want us to think um, how wonderful it would be if we actually got to hear those authors, as they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, speak to us now today, speak to us in their own voices. So I want you to kind of ignore my kind of raspy, kind of nasally voice. And I want you to listen to the voice of God and as he speaks through Peter today and hear what God is saying to Christians. Now, let me set the stage very quickly for you. This letter is written to Christians scattered throughout the then Roman Empire. Persecution has scattered them out past Jerusalem, out into where God says they're supposed to go. Sometimes God uses difficult things like persecution and, and pain to push us past where our comfort is in order to fulfill His mission and that 's what God has done here. but these people are struggling and they're wondering when God is going to rescue them and when everything is going to be okay in church history and Christian history, this is the time when persecutions local and Kingdom-wide or empire-wide are just starting to begin for Christians. And they're beginning to feel the heat, both from within and from outside. And in response to that, the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to write these words, not just to them, but to us. Let's give our undivided attention to God's Word and hear His voice. And Peter's. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word for us this morning. May his Holy Spirit speak to us clearly that we might know his will and his way in these and all things. Amen. Anybody here impatient about anything? You must be the most patient group of people I have ever met in my life. In my life, Or the most dishonest. <laughs> I admit, I'm impatient in a number of things. And patience is, is just a little bit of what we're talking about today. Patience is a little bit of what was being written about in that great hymn that we just sang. It is well with my soul. Patience and trust. And I tend to be a very impatient person in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Uh, some, I, some things I'm very, very patient, but some things I'm not. And one of those things is driving. I do not like slow pokes. I do not like left lane hogs. I do not like any of that. Okay? And probably, I'm guessing from the laughter, some of you don't either. In fact, it's probably behind the wheel of my vehicle that I express and find the most impatience. And Bonnie would probably agree with you in that, that particular uh, observation. But the thing that I always do is, and it seems like maybe it's something that God keeps doing to me, even if it's kind of like just needling me. Do you ever feel like God just kind of needling you once in a while? I think he does. And it's usually when I'm driving. And so I'll get upset. I'll get impatient. I want to get to where I'm going. That's my philosophy of driving is I want to get to where I'm going. So get out of my way. And I hear God saying, you know what? You need to develop more patience. It is a virtue. It is a fruit of the Spirit. But I keep telling God, find another way to teach me patience, because this ain't working. And I've been driving for 40 years, and it hasn't worked yet. Patience, patience, waiting, I guess there's other areas where I've been impatient too, especially as a kid. One of the things that I've always wanted with my particular personality and as I've learned with my personality traits as I've grown older and, and understood them better is that, that I've always wanted things to be exact. And one of the things that like my mother used to do was, was incredibly inexact and bothered me a lot. For instance, the question... When is dinner going to be ready? Now, I wanted to know, is it going to be 6 o'clock, 6.15, 6.30? I wanted an exact number, right? But guess what my mother almost always said? It'll be ready in a little while. Or when we were driving somewhere, driving to Grandma and Grandpa's house. It was a 100-mile drive for that. And as before, we got used to reading road signs and and keeping up with what was going on. We just stopped somewhere as kids in the midst of that that station wagon in the middle of that trip and say, Hey, Dad, when are we going to get to Grandma's house? In a little while. And that used to bug me especially Christmas morning. When are we going to get to look at the Christmas presents? Say it with me. In a little while. Does that ever bug you too? When your boss says it or your spouse says it or your parents say it? In a little while. Well, let me tell you something. God says that a lot. And it's actually mentioned here by Peter as he writes under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Peter himself says, you're going through tough times. You're going through trials and tribulations and you're experiencing grief and problems. But he says, this is only for a little while. Until that day when Christ fully reveals himself and sets everything right. We go through these little wild moments in very many times in our lives, don't we? We're impatient for different kinds of things. We want our, our kids to grow up or we want them to slow down from growing up when they get cro- close to leaving home. We, we want vacation to come and sometimes we don't want work to come back so fast. And sometimes we go through the kinds of things that you're going through now as a congregation. We go through the trials, we go through the tribulations, you go through the grief, the problems, the turbulence. the tur- Turbulence, the word that, that Nathan used is a great word, turbulence. It gives us the sense of nothing is settled. Everything seems to be wavy. We seem to be riding choppy waves all, all of the time. And, and you're kind of going through that. But God's promise to you and to me is whether it's happening in our church or in our lives or in our relationships with our children, it's only for a little while. If it has to do with the world culture, if it has to do with the battles that we're having in our own communities, it's only going to be for a little while. And we need to learn to be patient. And let God work. And there's reasons for that. And those are the kinds of things I want to share with you this morning to encourage you to remember not everything has to be and certainly not everything will be fixed quickly when we're going through tough times. I know we get used to that, particularly in our culture. We want things to just snap into place, right? Even as fast as my big screen TV turns on at home, I want it to turn on faster. You know? Even as fast as my high-speed internet downloads things, I want it to download faster. We're never satisfied. I'm never satisfied with that, even though I remember having an old black and white TV when I was a console TV when I was a kid, and that thing, I swear, took a half an hour to turn on, to warm up. You had to let the TV warm up before he got a picture. We're used to having our, th- our, 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 our needs and our desires answered immediately. But God says, it's not going to happen. It's not reality. So learn from this. Use this time. For Peter, the little while as he talked to these churches in places like Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, Whom he addresses in the introduction to his letter, that little while was between the time that they came to faith in Christ and experienced life where they are living now, which is where we are, where you and I are, and when Jesus returns. Now, for a lot of us, that's going to be a lifetime. I don't know when Jesus is going to return. The day, Sometimes on. I, I wake up in the morning and I see what's going on around us and I feel this sense of Jesus might come today. But people have been thinking that, believing that, hoping and praying for that for, for 2,000 years. And Jesus will come back someday. He promised that he would and he will. But until then, we need to live in this little while, in this little bit of time in the larger perspective. For Peter's and for his original listeners, it was no different than we experience it now. I want you to think about this and apply this to your own life and your own relationships and to your church. There is always going to be imperfection before fulfillment. There's always going to be imperfection before we get it right. No one gets it right, right off the bat. No one gets the first thing, has the first thing work perfectly. How do we learn how to love people? We learn how to love people in what way? You want to think, think about it. There's always imperfections in the people that we learn to love, whether it's a a boyfriend, a girlfriend, spouses, our children, there's always imperfection until we try and we try and we try and we fail and we fail and we fail until we've finally get the way where we can learn to love and care for each other it takes time everything takes time it takes time to learn your a skill or a craft it takes time to learn math and science it takes time to learn how to love and to care and to forgive it takes time For Peter and for those to whom he wrote, imperfection came before fulfillment. He said, you're going to go through these times, and sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. But the fulfillment will come. Jesus will come, and he will put an end to all that. That song that Nathan selected, It is well with my soul is perfect. I love that last word. Lord, haste the day when our faith will be sight. When Jesus returns. And everything is made right again. That day will come. But today, we need to learn to live with imperfection and be patient with it. Also for Peter and his original listeners, as well as for us, we must learn that there is always going to be struggle before there's peace. Before we are at peace with something or our church or our family or our country is at peace with something, there's going to be struggle because all of us have different ways of approaching peace, approaching wholeness, approaching this sense of everything being well and everything being right. It's not going to happen just like that. You may think it's the, the, the best way to handle a, a problem in an organization, and I've studied a lot of organizational fil- <clears throat> I studied a lot of organizational theory uh, when I was taking my, my doctoral classes. And one of the things that I kept discovering is that there are, there are many different ways to, to bring change and new life to an organization, and some of them, in, in some cases, none of them work. And in some cases, all of them work in some way. The key is to finding out which way, which one goes. You can blow up an organization, for instance. If you've got a business, you can completely gut it, like you gut a home and start over. Or you can simply try to do things like move things an inch at a time. You do it by slow and steady progression. And everything in between. There are going to be struggles before you reach peace. There are going to be disagreements, but we are reminded that we are to disagree in love for each other. And that's okay to do that. It's okay to disagree about methodologies and and what thing comes first and what comes second and third as we seek wholeness and health and flourishing. But it's not okay to continue to disagree on a personal level, and be angry with each other. That produces more strife, more difficulty, more turbulence. It just stirs the water more. It does not lead to peace. Listen, Peter would say to us. Listen to each other. Listen to God's Word. Listen to the Spirit working among us. And someday there will be peace. But be willing to struggle, wrestle for it grapple for it. And thirdly, Peter says this, there is going to be grief before there is an inheritance. The inheritance he's talking about is an inheritance that Peter says, you're already beginning to receive. You're already beginning to see the fruits of your salvation in Jesus Christ, but there is a great and glorious and unimaginable complete fulfillment that is out there ahead of you. Don't ever lose sight of that. But before then, there's going to be grief. There's going to be difficulty. I was thinking this week that that's really true in terms of human relationships, isn't it? My parents wanted to make sure their children got something. I remember talking to my mother uh, a few years before she, uh, she passed away, and she wanted to talk to all six of her children and say, Here's what I'm planning to, here's what I'm hoping to, to give you for an inheritance. Here's the amount of money that I'm hoping to have on hand, all of this kind of thing, but I can't give it to you yet, even though it might have done us better at that particular time. But we had to go through the grief of waiting and then the grief of her, of her illness her dementia, her vascular dementia, and the grief of her dying before we received that inheritance in full. We knew it was there. We knew it was coming. We knew it was going to be put in our hands one of these days. But we had to wait. We had to be patient. and We had to grieve before that money. It wasn't a lot, but it was some more than she received from her parents that got put into our hands. The same is true of our relationships with each other and our churches. Grief is going to happen before there is inheritance, before we individually and corporately come into full possession of everything that God has in mind for us. And I look forward to that day. I don't like being angry at my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't like being frustrated with them. And I don't like them being frustrated with me. And yet, because we're human beings, that happens, doesn't it? It happens. And while I can't say it's always okay that it happens, it's it's to be expected. Deal with the grief in good, healthy ways as you move forward as a congregation, and your inheritance, both in Jesus and your inheritance as a people of God here at Northminster, will come. Because along with these, these little while problems, there is great encouragement. And I hope you heard a lot more of that from Peter than you heard about the, pro- about the need to be patient and the need for all these things. These things are actually the things that will help us through. That will help us to be patient. For instance, he tells us that our hope is ever living, it's an eternal hope. Our hope is always alive. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And he is calling us forward. He is gifting us to, to live day by day with each other and to carry out the mission that he has given us. Our hope is ever living. But let us not forget that the hope that the Bible talks about is not a wishful thinking. We all like to engage in wishful thinking, don't we? I do. I have all my life. I, I, you know, I, Lord, I really wish I'd get an A on that, on that, on that Greek exam I failed it. You know why? Because I didn't study. It was wishful thinking. You don't learn by osmosis by sleeping with the, with a the Greek grammar under your head. You learn by getting in the library and studying, preparing, drilling, learning all of those kinds of things. So much of what we do is wishful thinking. Think of all the things that you, you say, I, man, I hope, I hope so-and-so will go out on a date with me. I hope so-and-so will marry me. I hope so-and-so will remember my, my work here in this company and reward me. I hope, I hope, and so much of it is wishful thinking. But biblical hope is born of the fact that we know that we know that we know that we know that God has something better in mind for us just around the next We know it because he's there. That's biblical hope. It's not saying, well, I hope Jesus is there. I know he's there, so let's keep going no matter how hard it is to get from here to there. Let's just keep going. That's hope. When you read the Bible and it talks about hope, that's hope. Our hope is ever living, Peter tells us. Our inheritance, he says, is worthwhile. It's worth waiting for. We cannot even begin to imagine what God has in mind for us, both in the days, weeks, months, and years to come in this world, but especially when we get into his presence, when Jesus comes again, and evil and death are washed away forever, and we live in the light of his love and in fellowship with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. How I long for that day how I want that day to come, and the older I get, the more I want it. The more I pray that biblical prayer of Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. It's worthwhile. It's worth waiting for. It's worth enduring the grief. It's worth enduring the struggles. It's worth patiently anticipating because it's gonna be beyond our wildest imaginations. Don't forget that. There's something there waiting for us. It's not pie in the sky by and by, it's real. And finally, our greatest encouragement is that Peter reminds us, and in fact, the entirety of the Bible reminds us that our struggles are valuable. Our struggles have value. They strengthen us. When we go through a difficult time, and we, especially when we have to learn that we can't do it by ourselves, that we need God and we are driven to our knees out of necessity, that makes those struggles worth it because it draws us closer to God. And the same is true about our relationships with each other. The struggles that you are going through as a church family now, and that you will go through in the future, are worth wrestling over. They're worth struggling together with. They're worth putting your arms around each other. They're worth locking your arms together for strength. They're valuable. Because it is in our struggles that we take upon ourselves or that life throws throws upon us. It's in those struggles as we deal with them together that we find some of the greatest gifts we can have, one of which is trust. Trust is the biggest problem in human relationships. It's trust. Does one person trust another? Does one person believe in another? Does one person really care about another? Can we trust each other? And when we can trust each other, we grow in that relationship. And sometimes we're disappointed and sometimes we will be disappointed. I will simply tell you this, and it's kind of half humorous and it's kind of not, but, but the, you know, there are, there are times that I have trusted in my wife to do something and she has not done it. Or done it the way I wanted her to do it. Shocking. But the fact of the matter is, folks, it is out of that trust in the conversation of saying, okay, what could I have done better? What could I have communicated better? What could I have made more clear to you? How could I have helped you to fulfill that expectation that we learn to trust each other and grow closer to each other? Don't let that opportunity to grow. Struggles are opportunities to grow. They are not expectations that are to drive us apart. God does not ever intend for His church, for His people to be driven apart by the struggles that they face together but to be driven toward each other and toward him. Don't ever forget that. They're valuable things. So much so that when Peter writes about this, I want to read these words again. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that, you, so that the proven genuineness of your faith How you handle struggles, prove the genuineness of your faith, which is worth more than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Embrace your struggles, but embrace them together. In your own little while, in our own little while, there are things we must choose to do to act these things out. We must make hope our hallmark. I love the word hallmark. And when we think about hallmark, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Cards, greeting cards, that big big company in Kansas City. You know, the people that invent holidays. So we have to buy cards and things like that. That's what it seems like for a lot of them. There is a day for everything on the calendar and everything on the face of the earth. It's just amazing. Do a Google search someday, just a random day, and say, what, day, what are we doing today? What, who is being honored on whatever day it happens to be? And you'll be amazed at how many things there are. Groups and animals and cultures and completely idiotic stuff too, you know? It's there, but the word "hallmark," the term "hallmark," is actually a very valuable term. It comes to us from from uh, ancient Eng- England when people were making a whole lot of, uh, and we see this today too, making a whole lot of look-alike type of stuff. The English monarchy decided it was a good idea that for for every established an authentic manufacturer or craftsman to, when they, when they got their products ready to go for market, that their hallmark was put on there. It was embedded in the metal. It was burnt into the wood, whatever it happened to be. It was often a stamp or, or something like that. And it became the mark of their hall, the hall of their labors, the hall that bore their name, so that you could look at it and know that it was authentic, that that pewter Stein was authentic, that hat was authentic, rather than a knockoff. Hope has to be our hallmark as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let it be that way, the hope that the Bible talks about, that I helped— to define for you. Let that be the sign of the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness of your love. Let it be the sign of the ownership of your soul, that you belong to Jesus and you belong to each other. That's a choice you can make. Here's another choice you can make in your own little while. Hold on to and hold on for each other. Don't try to go this alone. Don't try to go any of your struggles alone. Don't think that you are an island unto yourself, that you are the the master of your own fate. That is sheer foolishness. God has not designed us to go through life together, not as, as individual human beings or as disciples of Jesus or a church. God has designed us for each other and for Him. He has designed us for relationships. Don't shirk them. Don't avoid them. Embrace them, even when it's difficult, even when it's painful, even when it hurts your pride. Hold on to each other, because I can guarantee you, you're going to do a much better job of getting through whatever you're facing now if you do it together rather than apart. One more thing you can choose to do. Be filled with the joy of Jesus. Be filled with the joy of Jesus. Hard times tend to make us make the corners of our mouths droop, don't they? We get grim about things. We grit our teeth and But we are told that above all things not above all things but along with all things jesus had joy in his life even when he faced the cross for the joy that was set before him jesus endured the cross and despised the shame it is now our savior our master our lord and our Joy isn't painting a smile, clown's smile on your face. Joy erupts from us when we know God's got us in the palm of his hand. And he's got you in the palm of his hand. He's got you where he wants you. He's got you where you need him. don't let that go live it out in your daily lives and in your conversations with each other in your decision making and so forth let me just bear witness for just a moment for you there are a lot of times that i've gone through very difficult things in my life and i could not begin to express or enumerate them and i don't want to take the time to to even go through any of the most significant ones in my life but i can tell you this for sure, that every time I have gone through a difficulty in my life and I have reached out and I have complained to God and said, God, why are you making me go through this? This is not what I had planned. This is not good for me. Prove to me that this somehow makes me a better Christian, a better witness, a better person. The onus is on you now, Lord. I can tell you that every time that I have ever done that, like David did, like Moses did, like Paul did, that God has always brought something greater than I ever imagined out of it. My dad dying before I turned 32 years of old has made me a better pastor and a better father, believe it or not. The pressures that I have felt as a parent and as a pastor have made me a better person made me more patient, not with other drivers, but with my brothers and sisters in Christ, because I know what it's like to hurt. Brothers and sisters, friends, Northminster family, Jesus knows that you're hurting, and Jesus knows that you're wondering, and Jesus knows that you're sailing through choppy seas. But in a little while, it'll not just be okay. It'll not just be better. It'll be great. Hold on to that hope. Let's pray. Father, we honor you for telling us the truth that we don't have all the answers and that our problems are not all that much. Remind us, O Lord, that there is nothing that we face that you cannot conquer. There is nothing we struggle with that you cannot release us from. And there is nothing that we still have to wrestle with that will not make us stronger for your glory and our good. Help us, O Lord, to see each other with your kind and compassionate eyes and to love and care for one another as much as you care and love for us. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray.